In a world where every plastic bottle and discarded wrapper tells a story of convenience turned to curse, there emerges a beacon of hope. A maverick on a mission to turn the tides of our relationship with the planet. This is the story of Tom Jackson and Honest Ocean, a testament to the power and strength of community and the undeniable force of vision that sees beyond the horizon. Join me today in this voyage of discovery and transformation. Welcome back to Creating a Positive Impact. Thanks so much for being here once again. Some very quick housekeeping from me this week, just to say that we're now really starting to see good numbers of you guys that are following the show and keen to hear more, which I'm really, really grateful for. You guys are awesome. I'd love to get more of your feedback by letting me know directly what you think. You can either use the Spotify Q&A function or you can send me an email on cpi at soundquake.co.uk. Now, today's episode. Cast your mind back to 2019, if you dare. The founder of a small supplements company realised that there was demand for sustainable packaging for their products. But their supply didn't have any. So he asked, if I can find it, will you buy it? Yes, yes we will, they told him. And so Tom's journey begins. His research takes him to Indonesia, the epicentre of the battle against plastic pollution. And that marks the birth of Honest Ocean. In this chat, we look at what's gone wrong within our supply chains and what we can do to fix them in the future. We consider the power of people and community, and we take a peek into Tom's imagination of what a world for the likes of you and I might look like if we combat this issue. He's a man with big ideas. I started by asking Tom just how much of an issue is plastic pollution in our oceans. So ocean plastic in general is terrifying the stats when you look into it. it was 8 million tons now it's up to 12 i'm sure it, you know it will keep growing but also how 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 you get that data as well is is a, is a tricky one literally here in indonesia we just watch it flow down the river uh, and you've got rainy seasons where you have high intense rain bringing more out but then you've also got education and you know for people in very poor communities or just generally who are living day to day, they're not planning about week to week. They don't have the luxuries of planning years or having a even a collection system from the government. So the river has always been, that's how it gets uh, stuff away from their house. So it's, be, it's been used as a slide to the ocean. Uh, and it's been like that for a, at least a sort of 40 years is what we can find out from some of the older. Oh. So if you think about that, you've got a massive amount of plastic, which every day is, is hitting that. And yeah, we try and summarize it in photos and video content as best we can. But again, it's really hard. Uh, you've got things like examples like Jakarta, capital of Indonesia is sinking at uh, 12 centimeters a year. And the re and one of the reasons or the main reason for that is the tides coming in plastic and mud are getting stuck together and the water's unable to escape. So you're creating massive amounts of inland flooding, as well as that they also uh, chopped down a whole load of mangrove forest, which was not a good idea, which is a barrier to stopping water well uh, coming in. 
And so what you've got is you've got kind of the devastation of the mangrove forests, and then you've just got mud and plastic coming together. And yeah, there's really no legislation around that. So Southeast Asia is known generally for the worst mapped area of ocean plastic. In, at home, you know, in the West, it's, it's, a, it's a different story. There's still a lot of issues there. But yeah, ocean plastic is, you can, there's some parts where you can actually stand on the mud or the mangrove and it bounces like a trampoline. And you've got seven meters deep of plastic built up. Every time we go out, for no more than 30 seconds, they have to raise their propeller to take plastic bags and stuff off the actual uh, propeller of the engine itself because it just can't chop through it. So if you think about marine life that ended in certain locations uh, through chemical poisoning, which plastic is, is made from oil, of course. And so with all that process, uh, the fishermen don't have jobs. So what we really try and do is we try and pay them, if not the same, if it more to collect and use the same netting system they had for fish, but for plastic. And it's not, you know, the innovation that we wanted or we all dream of, but it's a process that can change and innovate as we go, as we get better. But yeah, the, the situation is overwhelming. And every time I, me and my team go there, it's an extremely, to these hotbeds, it's extremely bad. And it's very emotional when the locals take us there. Um, and then, you know, we work, with, we work with big brands to try and change that and impact partners to, to use those, those green dollars to, to try and help fund these guys who are these fishermen who are trying to change it it strikes me as odd that we've gone backwards in the sense that you know you talk about going from 8 million tons to, to 12 million tons or, or whatever those exact numbers are in a time when certainly at home it feels like we're taking recycling more and more seriously and it's become more and more normal i mean how i'm guessing the problem doesn't you know it doesn't start the moment that bottle ends up in the sea i i gather there's some things before that there's there's the manufacturing of the thing in itself and the recycling process and I guess the recycling market, which is a, a phrase I know that you've used. So explain a little bit about what's going on in that end before we even get to the ocean, like in that whole ecosystem, you know, is it not, is it kind of set up for failure? <laughs> sort of, Sam, yeah. So the recycling market in general has been created through the manufacturing at scale for years and needing needing an outlet for all this waste, all the, the processes that have come over the years. Plastic, you know, the first plastic was manufactured in 1901, a long time ago, and we're still combating the machines and the processes to make it the most efficient kind of system that we should have. Whether, wherever you are in the world, recycling is not, is not good enough. Here it's really bad, out of the West it's, it's a little better, but yeah, the general recycling market has massive issues. And what it comes down to is when you create new plastic from crude oil, it has the processes of the supply chain. Fantastic. That's helped plastic be more efficient. It's in all our gas stations and service stations, single use. People get the added value from that. But then when you put a second supply chain on top, which is the people collecting the plastic, to then taking it to a drop-off depot, for then the truck to take that to a recycling center, and for the recycling center to use the energy and the cost to make that into plastic resin, before it can then loop back into the circle of the manufacturer. So 
you've got the virgin, which is new plastic production from oil. You've got the recycling, which is double supply chain. And everyone wants this for a low price. But you can't do that because you've just added in another four steps where everyone has to get paid and people have to make a small amount of profit. But to be honest, in this side of the world, no one's really making profit. They're just covering losses. So when you put those two supply chains together, recycling will never, will never win until we can get to a point where it's going to cost the same as new. And um, it's, yeah, it's not looking likely that that's ever going to happen. And we're just talking about plastic here. We're not talking about other materials, aluminium, cardboard, steel, whatever that is. But, and we're only talking about plastic and we're only talking about recyclable plastic. So there is a whole world mm. of plastic that's unrecyclable. So in, in, in the end of 2023, we're still manufacturing at scale plastic that can have no process. And people use things like plastic to energy. I don't know if you've heard much about that, Sam, which is taking plastic and turning it into a process, into a grid electronic system or a gas wow, system. No. And a lot of these ideas are out there, but a lot of them don't work or it's too inefficient or it's not cost effective or it needs to be scale. Big, big example of this is plastic energy, which are kind of the leaders in that space. Um, but again, nothing's working because of the costing of buying the raw material, the processing of it, and the energy use is generally as much as the sort of what you get out the other end. So yeah, there's a whole world of whole world of problems, and every solution we solve, there seems to be more problems. I talked a little bit before when we were off the camera about just the waste that comes from mechanical recycling. Mechanical recycling is, mm. is the process of conveyor belts and the kind of things you see uh, in your area where, where they'll shred it and, and wash that. You know, you get waste from that as well. Roughly 10 tons of waste to 100, 100 tons processed is rough figures for Southeast Asia. I, I might be wrong in other parts. And yeah, that's mechanical recycling. And that's the traditional sense of it. Um, but then you've got chemical recycling or what they're calling advanced recycling, which is um, when you're turning that non-recyclable plastic, which I'm very interested in, back into, uh, back into crude oil. So it can then follow the supply chain, which is the first one I was talking about too. So it can go back into the first supply chain at a slight premium. And that is achievable for brands because it's a sustainable process to a circular economy. It's just a different way of doing it. Instead of collecting it, putting it in a box, they're just turning that waste into oil. But it's a, it's a long and complicated subject, so I will do my best to sort of summarize the, uh, kind of the topics. I won't go down too many rabbit holes. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, when we first spoke, I was, uh, yeah, kind of eye-opened, to be honest. And, and maybe I shouldn't have been so surprised, but yeah, just how <laughs> complex an issue it is. But, but we'll, yeah, we'll do our best to kind of keep on it on an easy to follow path you've done a great job of of highlighting just how big an issue this is and i'm sure i'm sure you could probably talk about that for days and you've also touched upon various things that that you guys are doing but let's let's look more at that let's look at the solution that that honest ocean are working towards let's look at your processes i know you mentioned micromanaging parts of the the supply chain so kind of walk us through that what does that look like what exactly is it that you guys do, you know, boots on the ground. So the most important part of the recycling world is partnerships. I think everyone in this space will say that. 
people, brands do and companies do try and do it solo, but you just can't create the scale of what you want to do. So what we do is we work with communities and villages all across Southeast Asia, specifically kind of our home base is Indonesia, but we work in Thailand and other regions. Uh, and it's working with them to create their own businesses. And that's really the stem of, of the backbone of what we do. And it's really important that everyone gets paid for the work they do, of course, but they will collect the material locally. They'll have a drop off, which will help them, the village, the community, the chiefs of those villages organize. And we are that sales channel for them. So we are that buyer. So it's an ideal situation, you know, as a small business or not wanting to do the job that you're doing, especially some of the jobs in communities are pretty desperate. Some of them are, are really not nice jobs to do. So to go, hey guys, can you create a collection area? What we'll do is we'll sort out the logistics and the collection of that being picked up. All you need to do is separate this type from this type or plastic from cardboard um, or recyclables from non-recyclables. We'll teach them that process and that education with the goal down the line to be able to speak to those schools and educations and really get that into the, the process of their school at a young age. So let's fast forward 50 years. Everyone's forgotten about plastic waste in their communities. They've just known what to do with it. And when they get to 18, they can create a decision if they want to go into that business, they want to go to university or even did that business that their parents started, did that fund them to go to school or have the option of university, which is almost zero in a lot of these coastal areas. And most of them are making money from, from fishing, which, like I said earlier, is, is not really there now because of because the amounts of waste. So that's really the yeah, most sure. important part, making sure the source gets the money, making sure those guys are looked after. Once you got that right, once you got that running at scale, of course things happen, family issues happen, waste banks or their private little uh, waste bank that they've created have to close another's open it you know we try and do our best to help with that but it's very difficult so you have that whole process and then the next step is moving that to something called an aggregator basically a medium-sized business which has some of them have 50 some of them have 100 staff in there and really what they do is separate the waste if it hasn't been separated already and compact it so you have these compacting machines which basically pushes plastic down into something called a bale which is much easier to transport and it offsets the cost of that transport way more. And then from there, it will go to the main recy recycling center, hopefully locally, if they have that option. And then from there, it go, the recycler will shred it, wash it, uh, and put it into the little resin pellets I was talking about, which then go back to manufacturers and the end user. So, so you still, to certainly have to rely on the man, the recycling infrastructure that that exists. That was, it, that's the mechanical recycling that that you yeah, spoke about. Absolutely, and the beauty of that is it already exists. So it's improving the standards of that, especially in Southeast Asia. There aren't high standards. Working conditions need to be improved. Insurance for the guys. All of these things have to be addressed by um, our team, and also we use external auditors for that too. So we use the, recyc uh, the recyclers as partners and we, the two biggest issues for a recycler is feedstock. So where's all that waste? Are they ever going to run out? That's the kind of stuff that keeps recyclers up at night. And secondly, where's their customer network coming from? Have they got enough customers internationally, domestic? So we do either side. So they're in the middle. We 
work with the communities, logistically move that material to there, and then the customers to them. Uh, and that's what I mean when I say micromanagement. It's understanding the ins and outs of every step of that. So we're already prepared for the failing or the mishap or the miscommunication through that process. And, you know, there can be hundreds of people individually working on that one little piece of plastic that has gone through all those different hands on its route back to back to that second supply chain I talked about earlier, back to the PCR, uh, the post-consumer recycled uh, market and to go back into, into new products. And how's, I'm interested, you know, I, I love the, the community aspect of it and getting locals involved and, and, you know, them being part of their own solution, I think is really, really powerful. So, I mean, how, you know, how have you found that on the ground? What's been kind of the, 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 the feedback and the impact you've, you've seen from, you know, from, from families and, and, and real people? Yeah. And the short answer is it's really, really difficult. It's really, really hard. And obviously we have our local team as well, which are massively helpful for us to be able to create the rapport with those, those guys, or let's call them waste banks, which is a drop-off location, waste, waste bank owners. But, you know, like I said, stuff does close, things go wrong and they can't have the funds to keep running it. And so there, there are a lot of things that we try and help them then build more security around that. And yeah, it's, it's been really tricky to expand, but also to keep the guys we've got at the start of the supply chain, or sorry, start of the, the waste banks and look after them as well as branch into other things. And thankfully, technology can be a massive part of being able to scale that. Everyone's got a phone on some capacity and WhatsApp is usually the way business runs here. So we do a lot of that. But yeah, it's been hard. Government's been an absolute nightmare. Budgets aren't allocated correctly. There are sometimes aren't budgets. So being able to build that with the governments is a big part of my day today. Um, and actually tomorrow we'll go to the university and we built in part of the course for the university students to help us with the feasibility. So we've got about 25 scooters and those guys are just gonna go around the city, uh, which, is, uh, which is coastal. So they're going to go around there. They're going to try and speak to all these waste bank owners, see what their problem is. Are they getting paid enough for the value of that plastic? Are they collecting enough? Can we add more money to them by them collecting different types of plastics? Because we'll pretty much take anything. And yeah, mm. so we collaborate with universities, with schools, with communities to really spread impact. And a word of mouth here is, is huge. And especially when it's around being able to make money. So we have a lot of people coming through Instagram in really far away, remote places. And we rely on brands and customers on the other side to be able to support us. And some, some of them have really supported us through the growth, which has been really hard. You know, we haven't got it right. The plastic's been pretty rubbish right in the early days. And we've got, we've got a member of our team now, Alex, who's, who's been in this world for years and he's, he's a pro of what plastic needs to look like. So we're now at the growth stage where we finally got it right. After three years, we're selling high quality product back into the market, which is impacting the local communities. And the goal is to grow that and to centralize it, which is kind of where we're at now um, with creating a marketplace where brands can really understand where their money's gone to. Uh, and we call it impact funds and to show the whole story of where that plastic came to. So. We're having a lot of fun with brands now, which are wanting to put logos and QR codes on, on 
shelf products. So you and I, Sam, when we're home in Tesco's pop-in or Waitrose, and be able to scan the impact of where that's come from before we even buy it. So wow. If, wow. if something costs 20 cents more and it's on the shelf, let's say a head and shoulders is next to you know another product and it has this label saying, scan me to see what lives we change, something like that. You know, end of the day, I would pay 20p more. I don't know if you would. And to understand where that's gone to, but not only that, where the product's going back to and starting again. So we're really at the early stage of recycling plastic. You know, it's only been collected once, twice. There's very little data to show how much plastic has been collected and processed. So we're just trying to get it once. We're just trying to get it collected once and back into the system. <laughs> we fast forward 15, 20 years when we've tried to get it back into the system five or six times, you know, that, that causes massive amount of, it, of issues with contamination levels. But if we can get the first one to five times going and, and you, you can see a product that you bought three years ago back on the shelf from the same supply chain that collected that, that's pretty cool. I mean, that's something you can show your young ones as well that, you know, this is how we should be doing it. And there's a, I know you, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm going to finish and I'll, I'll let you jump in. I promise talking so much. No, no, you but, keep going. This is great. But there's a massive problem with everyone going, yeah, let's have refill stores. You know, we see them all over the place. But then you put real life problems with dogs and pets and kids and you're in the supermarket, you've got to get home, you finish your job and you, you know, you got to get the kids to bed and bathed and everything. So the commodity side of it, it really holds its own and it's useful. Whereas refill stores with your jars and stuff, love the idea of that. But in the real world, how feasible is that? So going back to QR codes and stuff, if you can show your kids or if we can all show our kids the process of how that's moving, that's cool to be able to say that, you know, this is going to be a part of your future and, you know, this is all setting up stuff for you and you can understand that. And like one day, you know, even your kids or anyone else's might love the idea of that and wanting to, you know, they're the future, wanting to change that and think, actually, we can do way better. And so, yeah, it's really exciting future, but right now it, where the planet is in its lifeline, it's a bit of a mess. So it, it's just trying to get the foundations for the next generations to be able to, to really scale it. And with technology growth, you know, AI stuff, that they're, they're definitely going to have those options. Yeah, we always hear that, don't we? We look at the next generation, we oh, you're the ones that are gonna that are gonna solve this. We're like, well, no, hang on, let's give them let's give them a let's chance, give them a roadmap to, uh, yeah. to actually do that. Yeah, let's you know, we're not done yet. I love that idea though. I'd never, I've never, you know, but you're at, I'd, I'm totally with you. I would pay that that bit more for the, you know, I guess we already do it now. But here's the light version of it, and where I don't really like it, it's we just pay more for something that has the word eco on it, right? That's yeah. as good as, as we have at the moment. We don't necessarily know what that is or means or what about it is eco, but it's on there, and it's probably you know it must be a good thing, and so we pay the extra for it. But to actually see quite easily what that means, like yeah, where's you know you know in terms of that 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 chain and, and in a really simple term. I think that'd be a hugely powerful thing. And, and like you say, for it to work in that existing, you know, the way that we culturally consume things at the moment, and, and, you know, convenience does just win at times, doesn't it? You're absolutely right. Like reality sets in. Yeah. That's a, I think would be a really powerful thing. So that's, that's, uh, yeah, I've not thought of that before or, or heard about it, but I think that's great. 
I mean, you talked a lot there about, you know, the impacts that you guys are having and, and hoping to have going forward. And as I understand it, measuring impact is for you guys something you take very seriously. And it's something that you want to be able to help other brands and, and businesses do as well so that, you know, what they're doing is measurable. You avoid greenwashing and, and all this this kind of stuff. So what does that look like? Like what systems have you guys got in place to measure what it is that you're doing and, and you know, what can other businesses learn from that? Yeah, absolutely. So tracking, track and trace accountability uh, is a really big part of that. And again, technology is how that works. So we have the locations of where the material is dropped off and weighed. And from there, it then starts its route. So QR tags and photos all starts and that, and that creates that initiates that QR, basically QR code that then it goes onto the truck and then it gets scanned at the next location. And then again, for processing, it all has to be processed separately. So from one community or location, all of that material be brought to a centralized location where all is one order. So that when we match it with brands, it's exactly where it came from. And so you, you basically, before, before the tech was there for it, we use CRM systems. So we just use a massive database tracking orders every order has a you know like we get our amazon dropped off to our house in the uk or every all of those have tracking numbers so essentially it works like that but to the point where it's niched into every single part of the supply chain and all the all the partners involved in that are added into that supply chain and onto that database and i touched on it but creating a marketplace is basically impact so What's the impact from your order? Who's it helped? Where is it? Where's that money gone? And yeah, basically accountability, which, which brands and customers can then use for their internal reporting, which we all know for ESG or, or big corporate goals is a big part of that. So we started with the focus on communities, but we quickly worked out that it comes from the customers and the brands and we need to make it good for them and it needs to be useful for them. And then that impacts the community. So if I was to start again, I would start the other way around. I would create the impact through selling it to customers, like give me 20K each, this is what I'm gonna do, and this is it, I'm gonna show it, that kind of way. But again, you need to, you need to do it before you, you need to do it before you show it. So um, it was the right way to do it in the end. But yeah, that's kind of what we do. And now we have systems for that and they're, they're foundations for scale. And every time we have a new waste bank, we can bring them onto the map system, very similar to a Google Maps. So all those links is kind of, kind of like the London subway. You've got all the different lines linking up. And that's kind of how it works from a waste bank process. And, and yeah, that's how we interact with our partners. Uh, we don't talk about it. There's a lot of talk. We all say on LinkedIn, oh, we're being fantastically sustainable. We, I saw it from a bank recently. Oh, our, our new credit cards are ocean plastic. Awesome. Glad you guys did that. But show us, you know, where's, you can't say things anymore without having proof. And that's my favorite thing about being here. It's like, okay, cool. Show us the, show us the data on how you collected that. There's like, oh, well, we don't have it. Okay, so you're in an office working for a company, which is supply chain, probably on the other side of the world. It's telling you, yeah, yeah, sure. It's come from, it's come from a riverbank or ocean. Uh, we collected it and it just so happened to be clean enough that we could process it into a lovely looking credit card, whatever it is. So it's, 
I'm fantastically well known for calling people out, which gets me in a lot of trouble, but it's just the world we're in. And if people don't want to be in that greenwashing space, don't make themselves vulnerable like that. You have to go to suppliers and demand more because the suppliers aren't consumer facing. They're not, they're not getting slammed on socials or in, in whatever format it is. So you need to do more work. And now we see brands like Adidas and other companies doing that, getting behind. And Adidas got into a lot of trouble because their uh, plastic, you know, their shoes are made from plastic bottles, came from hotels in Mauritius or wherever it was. So now everyone else has to have that accountability. And they've shown where it can go wrong. So it's really now about going deep on the supply chain. And you know, a lot of these big corporates have got hundreds of thousands of sustainability managers. So they've got the resources to go, to go deeper on supply chains, but it's going to mean they're going to have to leave their, um, their heated, heated office and go out in the wild and, and really see what's happening. But um, yeah, it's, that yeah. is a massive plus side of where we are being able to cut through the shit basically. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it is important to do because, you know, for a consumer, like, you know, you've got trust issues there, haven't you? Like if you go out with all the good intention to buy something that's clean, green, eco, you know, whatever, whatever label that end brand has put on it, you, yes, you can, you know, you can do your research on that, but you're probably inevitably going to end up with whatever the brand has, has given you to, to, to read. So yeah, it's important that, that that stuff actually does mean something because if we keep going through this loop of, you know, big brands abusing the, their power to, you know, label these things as such, and that doesn't actually hold up to scrutiny, it's going to mean nothing, right? And any any time that a brand puts that kind of claim on something, we're just going to kind of, you know, lose trust in it. So I think you're right to, to, you know, to call it out and yeah, maybe it gets you in a bit of trouble, but if you're, you know, if you're fighting the good fight, you're going to piss a few people off on the way. It's, it's all part of it. And you find the people who that really attracts, you know, companies that actually really want to see change. They didn't just want to put it on a, a LinkedIn or an Instagram ad. They really want to feel the impact. That's, that's really what we, mm. that's our kryptonite. That's what we love. And then, you know, we'll, they'll come out, we'll do the tour, we'll show them. And, you know, that, that's the part of it, which they go home thinking, you know, Jesus, this, this problem is, it's you. Yeah. And yeah. they're all decision makers. You know, like vice mm. presidents or presidents of sustainability have the power to do that and to change it. And, you know, it, it's a very, it's a very hard position to be in because if that person isn't motivated enough to create that change, these big brands, they're not, they're not changing because the people aren't, you know, motivated correctly. So, you know, we, we do have conversations with, with companies which, you know, can't wait to get off the call. And we know straight away, you know, that's kind of the end of that roadmap. So I tell you what, then let's let's uh, let's get a bit uh, let's embrace some some imagination. I'd I'd like you, if you can, to you've done a great job of painting us a picture of where we are now. The problem, paint us a picture of a future where we kind of get a hold of this problem. We we remove all the plastic we need to from from the ocean. We figure out you know better ways of of manufacturing it or manufacturing something else, I suppose world in which you've you've kind of done your job and we we're in you know we're in in that paradise what does that look like to you that kind of plastic free yeah. kind of world you know what 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 does that look like to you it's a lovely lovely question as well and um, if we get if we get made redundant from this or if we if our job's done that's you know that's our goal here 
Uh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it really comes down to, I won't use the circle side of it, but being able to produce, whether it's the world of plastic, whether it's seaweed, whether it's bioplastics, whatever that process looks like, it has to run off a process that has an end of life in mind. So let's talk about, okay, you've got solar energy, fantastic, but you've got waste that can't be recycled. Okay, so, you know, it's feasible for us to be able to make that into energy to run a recycling plant. So, so even just one notch on the short term is get a factory to run off waste. It generates its own waste from recycling. Use that waste to run that plant. So with solar, with plastic waste, even potentially organic waste if composting isn't an option there. So that's a tiny goal, which everyone should aim for, but it hasn't happened yet. So if we can get to that stage, then it's what's, what stage can everything else be processed at? Because if we're getting to a place where new plastic's not being recycled, uh, sorry, new, uh, new plastic's not being produced, we've still got 30 years of plastic now that we can use for the demand. So it's being able to use initiatives like that. I mean, if we look at the way that we generate energy as people, you know, exercise, yoga mat, you're transferring energy into something that's not being harnessed, right? So why can't we do that with waste processing everything? Okay, we can use waste to make, mix with concrete for the roads. Okay, but where's the positive en energy generated from that, from walking? All these parts of it, we see every part of waste that can be transferred to an energy source of some kind. So when we, when we get to a scale where waste isn't called waste, it's just, it's just called a rebuild or a reprocess. Mm. Then in the short term, new plastic doesn't have to be used. But in the long term, we're creating things which we're accountable for at the end. So, and one of the main reasons is manufacturers have nothing to do with waste management, which are two ends of the supply chain, right? You've got creating goods, you've got the consumer in the middle, or you've got the retailers and brands, consumers buying it goes in the bin at home, then it goes back into another supply chain or, or back into business off consumer hands. So if you have accountability as a, someone creating it, as a manufacturer, and you have to have a, have a packaging that you can reuse again, companies are only ever going to create something that's more value for them, which is they can get to use it again. We already see return schemes where bottles are dropped off, you can reuse that in, or refilled, for example. It might not be feasible at the moment, but it's like anything. It's like electric vehicles. Anything that's done at scale enough can make, can make it cheaper. So it's a bit of a roundabout answer, but basically by stopping the production and by using new, more things today, we can run trucks off waste. We can, we can convert non-recyclable plastic into hydrogen. Uh, we can use so many elements of our day-to-day -day driving, day-to-day -day impact. And you know, my favorite thing I'd love to see, individuals like us have a sustainability score and we get better insurance. Wow. We get better car leasing structure. We get, it's a credit score for sustainability. And the more you do at home and use your purchase dollars, the higher ranking you get. And it's kind of, it's kind of a mix between a credit score and kind of crypto, right? So you have an ID and an interface for it, but you can really have accountability for it as individuals. 
So if, your mortg- if you get better mortgage rates on your house because you're 23% better than that other person, that's better for that in- uh, mortgage company because then they're putting that towards green sustainability, which is then reducing their tax as a corporation. So wow. this is something I've had in the back of my head for a while, but that's just surface level. We're just talking about everyone who has a driving license or whatever, an ID, should have accountability for what they use. If we do that, it then incorporates people's egos and also what people can talk around the kitchen table or office. I know it's a stupid thing to say, but it's a part of life. So with accountability for individuals for waste or just generally for sustainability, we can literally, in 15 years, change how the world functions, especially in the Western world or worlds that are functioning with good income, good good commerce businesses. Mm, I like that. I like the, you know, if you want, if you want more, you have to incentivize it, right? You've got to put the incentives in the right place for people. Mm. And that, you know, that really does get to that. I think, you know, I guess you can, you could pick that apart if you wanted to. I think you're, you're bound to come up against issues, aren't you, with, with privacy and, and data collection, all these things. But, I, you know, that's going to be, you're going to have issues with it. But I still think that that idea stands and is, is strong. I've not heard anything like that, but that would be that'd be really cool. I mean, yeah, we have we have credit scores, don't we? So so why not? You know, let's have one for something that that matters a bit more. Yeah, and why um, not get a better credit score through your sustainability side to it? Like it's it's it, win win. Yeah, you 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 can't. There's no end basically to it. Wow, that's that's a, that's a thinker. I like that. Yeah, don't get my um, imagination we, going. It's, it's, <laughs> it's great. Well, I can see the uh, see the light fading behind you now. So let's uh, let's bring this to a close. The last thing that we like to do on this show is just to to give you an opportunity to to give a shout out to someone, or uh, that could be a person, a business, an organisation that you think is doing really great work. Someone that you think is creating a positive impact with what they do. That can be related to the field that you're in, or or otherwise. You know, kind of the, the world your oyster, if you like. And normally, I have given my previous guests a bit of time to think about this, and I've just thrown this at you from nowhere. Love so. it. No, absolutely. So who's uh, maybe the first person that comes to mind for you? I guess. <laughs> uh, Person-wise, is a is a difficult one. I'll come back to that. But in terms of uh, company, there's a there's actually a great company in Bali, which is really they they're called Handprint. They're doing fantastic stuff to try and create accountability at scale. So I'd say what they're doing is really cool. But also on the kind of social level, there's um, there's a number of great companies. I mean, Precious Plastics, for one, is just kind of a hero company for me. And they're a non-profit. And all they've done is provided tools for people to do cool stuff. And what that is, is recycling machines all over the world. I mean, you can go on Google Maps and type in Precious Plastics and all these little businesses will pop up. And they've created a grid system of people collecting local waste recycling it into tables and chairs and things and they're selling that and all they're doing is here buy buy a small recycling machine it's a flat pack build it yourself learn about it buy buy some plastic or take some plastic and and they've done that at scale and it's kind of a model that i've tried to follow through waste banks as well which is a little bit harder but it's, it's just a fantastic process of what they do. Individuals, there's no one who really sticks out from my side. I know there's a few that come up, but yeah, I'd, I'd keep it around company facing for now because I think a, a bunch of people can do more than, than one person. 
But yeah, I mean, what I would add to that is anyone who, who's got an idea who really doesn't understand how they can make money out of it, it might be, it might be the next thing. So get, get on Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, whatever you use, and just start reaching out to some people who do have, have the means to what you don't understand. Maybe you don't understand the financial models, but you've got ideas for days and creating, creating micro changes is really how we get to big projects. So yeah, just for anyone who's interested in getting into impact and in sustainability, environmental, whether that's social as well, just start hooking up with people, just just meet in the middle and, and go for a coffee and just, just talk about stupid ideas because stupid ideas usually turn into really good stuff, especially if you go in the pub. And so, yeah, it's, uh, I would say as an individual, as someone, definitely just, just start throwing some ideas around. There's, there's no such thing as a bad idea. So, yeah. Love it. That's great. That's that's. A really nice place to wrap things up. I think, you know, three years in, I guess, yes, you've done a lot, but I think you're also at the start of all this, right? Start of your journey. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to keeping up with what you're doing. You know, if I check in with you again in a year or two's time, who knows what you might have achieved by that point. Thank you so much for your time, Tom. I've, I've really, really enjoyed that. And I wish you all the best. Awesome. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, same time next year. And really, really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> I love that idea of being able to see information on where the material of a product have come from. I think that's a vision of the future I can legitimately see happening, and one that personally I think is quite cool. I'd love to share that with my kids. Clearly a no-nonsense guy. If you don't follow Honest Ocean or Tom on LinkedIn yet, definitely do so. That's a great source of content for you. And I'll just reiterate Tom's last point about if you're the kind of person that has an idea you think might change the world, but you have no idea how to make that happen, what the practicalities might be, what the financial side of things might look like. Don't let that stop you. Tell people about it. Have conversations. See where it takes you. I guess in some senses that's what this show is about. I might be talking to people who have already embarked on that journey, but that's likely where they started and are now living out the product of those conversations. If it helps, Share it with me. Let me know. Email me. Let's chat. Who knows what might happen? Links to Tom, Honest Ocean and myself are all in the show notes, as well as links to this week's shout outs from Tom, who are handprint in Bali and precious plastics. Again, a massive thank you to those of you who now follow this show. It's amazing to see that this is starting to grow. If you want to be one of them, well, you know what to do. Here's one last thought I'd like to leave you with. It's inspired by today's chat. If you want to make some sort of change or impact, no matter how small, show, don't tell.